All right, so when I was in high school, I was really excited for one particular wrestling meet. It was just a simple dual meet, which meant our school was just hosting one other school. It was quick. It was just uh, not a long event. And so uh, my team, for some reason, we were all in the same English class with like probably, I think she was like 180, our teacher. And we were like, you got to come. Uh, you, you, you know, she was one of, the, she was in the humanities, you know what I mean, right? So, so like, she had never been to a wrestling meet, and, <coughs> and excuse me, and we were like, you got to come and check this out, you're going to love it, it's going to be, uh, like, life-changing for you, Mrs. Ross, you're going to love it, and she's like, okay, guys, I'll come, I'll come, again, like, uh, like 150, she comes, and in the very first match, the kid throws up, on another kid, all right, and she's like, oh, you can see her in the stands, just like, this is not cool, right, the second match, right, the kid goes out there, and like, he gets choked out, right, he just faints, right, he, he gets, he's just out of it, and she's like, this is not good, the third match, the kid goes out there, and he gets a cross face, it's a, like a defense move in wrestling, and and he, the kid breaks his nose, and my dad's the coach. My, dad, my dad's like, you're not quitting. You know, that's just how I grew up. And so my dad takes tape and wraps it around his head and, like, shoves cotton up his nose, right? And says, go back out there. And so he, he's got blood everywhere, and, like, the, you know, his head's taped up, and, and he's wrestling, and the kid's just like, ugh, right? And then my match comes up, and I, I shoot in on the kid, and I take the kid's leg, and all of a sudden, I don't know what happened, but the kid's leg breaks in three places, right? And so we're like, after the, the, the match, after the meet, and we're up to Mrs. Ross, and we're talking to her, and she's like, I don't know what this sport is, but it is the worst thing in all of athletics. It's just awful. It's terrible. She can't believe that we participate in this sport. And she hates it. And here's the thing. I've always loved wrestling all those things that just happened in that match, right? I, I love the sport. It's by far my favorite sport. And I'm not talking about WWE or any of that fake stuff. I'm talking about real Olympic wrestling, right? You can learn so many things from this sport about yourself and about adversity and, and hard work and discipline. And so it will probably come as no surprise that one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of a man named Jacob who actually had a wrestling match with God. No doubt, right? I mean, true story. Jacob had a physical wrestling match with God or, or, or this, this character of God because God could have just easily just smited him, of course, right? But God kind of put him through the ringer. And so it's one of my favorite stories. And the very idea that God would, would come down in human form and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with one of his children has always fascinated me. It's just an interesting story. So, so once we decided to do this, this current series of sermons that we're in, the, the Hall of Flaw, I was pumped, to say the least. I was excited to dig into, to dive deep into the story of Jacob and this wrestling match. And as I dove in, 
the more and more I realized that I did not just have uh, physical wrestling in common with Jacob, but the, the mental wrestling as well. You guys know what I'm talking about? Right? We've all been there. Listen, Sandra, I think if we're all honest, wrestling is something we do every day. And I'm not just talking about trying to get your toddler into the car seat in the car and you're in the parking lot or trying to get your kids past all the candy bowls in the lobby. I, right? It's not that kind of wrestling. I, I know, right? I'm talking about the wrestling we do in our minds. Right? It could be small things like should I... Should I make dinner, or should I just go grab something quick from McDonald's, right? Should I eat healthy, or should I eat this, or, or, or should I yell at my spouse for not doing that thing I asked them to do for, like, the hundredth time, or should I just let it slide, right? It's kind of like these little wrestling matches. Should, should I make my kid get off the iPad, or should I just let them stay on because, oh, peace and quiet. It's really nice, right? Right, and then there's the, the bigger things, like, should I start applying for jobs, or, or should I, I try to stick it out here, even though I might lose it on my boss if they ask me to do one more thing that's not in the job description, or, or someone else's job one more time, right? Or should I take a lower-paying job, because it seems that, that is where God is, is giving me the assignment, and where he wants me, and I'm not sure if I can make ends meet if I take that job, if I listen to that, that nudge of the Holy Spirit. It's a little bit bigger of wrestling matches going on, right? And who knows, right, what, what I should do about my, my marriage. My friends say this, my, uh, my parents say this, my therapist says this, my church says this. And then there's this wrestling in our mind, this, this grappling, this, this torquing, this wrestling of ideas and, and actions. And we have all these things that we're thinking about and what we should do and and it's a calling, or is it not the calling? What, what is my identity? How do I fit into this? And there's all of that wrestling, and then there's even our faith founders. Right? The, 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 the questions, the doubts, the worries, the, the shouting matches with God, and it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And it seems like no one is ever going to win. It's just one long match over and over again. It's like it takes place in the, the Groundhog Day town, right? And that is the story of Jacob, this man, right? A man who for his whole life wrestled, and then he actually physically had to wrestle with God. And I think we can all learn a thing or two from him about how to win at all these wrestling matches, these physical wrestling matches, these mental wrestling matches, and win in the right way. So let's dive into this. A few weeks ago, we talked about a lady named Sarah and how she considered the faithfulness of God, which I hope you were able to spend some time doing as well, right? looking at the faithfulness of God in your life. We gave you a worksheet to kind of work through that. Now, now, this week, we go down that family line of Abraham and Sarah and, and their faithfulness story. We go down their family line, right? If you remember, after 25 years, Abram, Abraham was finally blessed with a little boy named Isaac. 
And today we pick up the story after Abraham's death. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 25, all right, verses 19 through 28. Genesis chapter 25. And as you're turning there, let me remind you that you can use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you and you can take those with you. Right? Those Bibles are free for you to take, to use, to have, um, to take, to give away. Right? So turn there. Don't take my word for it. Turn to Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 through 28. Genesis 25 simply says this. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Armean of Padan Arm, the sister of Laban, the Armean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now verse 22. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now when her, her days to give birth were completed, behold, There were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Verse 26 says, Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Verse 27 says, When the boys grew up, Esau, the firstborn, was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because of his wild game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, because of his parents, Isaac knew what to do when his wife was barren because he knew their story. Right? We, we talked about Abraham and Sarah. Right? So he knew what to do. He prayed to God on behalf of his wife, Rebekah. Isaac prayed, and God helped Isaac and Rebekah to conceive, and not just one baby, but two. And then in the womb, the babies, they start wrestling right off the bat. Right? They start wrestling. And I'm told babies often do this in the womb. They're like jockeying for position or something. So, so it's kind of a normal thing. But if you read the, the message paraphrase, Rebecca talks about her wrestling babies by saying this. She says, if this is the way it's going to be, why go on living? <laughs> A little dramatic, right? <laughs> A little dramatic, but, but how often have we prayed for something, and when God provided it, we started to complain, I've been there. I, I do that, right? That's just, a, that's just a little side lesson for our back pocket because we've all been there, right? We pray for something, we get it, and then we complain. 
so let's just read on, right? These, these, these babies who are wrestling in the womb, they are born. And the second one born, Jacob, is called that because he's grabbing onto the heel of his brother when he enters the world. And listen, I think this is really important because the idea of a, a heel catcher, right, meant something in that day. It meant something in that time. It had the idea of someone being a trickster or a con man, a scoundrel, a, a rascal. It wasn't a compliment to be called a heel catcher, to, to be called Jacob. If it was, it was someone who would do whatever it took to get ahead. Illegal, right? Things, sketchy things, right? Shady things. Yes, they worked hard, but they would do it not in a God-honoring way. They did it in vain, right? They were just a little sketchy, right? Think about this like when you were little and you went to the pool with your, your friends or with your siblings and and you're racing them from one end of the pool to the other end of the pool, right? And, and you're, you're swimming, and you're, you're winning. And all of a sudden, right, your sister, usually it's a sister, right, <clears throat> grabs a hold of your heel, right, and pulls you back. And they swim over top of you, right? That's the definition of this name, right? How many of you would do that if you were losing? Just me, right? <laughs> Kind of awkward, right? Some of us are honest. Some of us are honest. Everyone else is lying. All right? That's, that's what this means, right? They're, they're, he's losing, and instead of just, like, digging down deeper and, and perfecting his, you know, training with a Rocky montage and getting back in the pool and going after it again, he just pulls his opponent down, swims over top of him. Right? That is what Jacob was being called. That was who he was at his court. Right? He was the one who would grab the person beating him by the heel and he would pull them down to get ahead. He would do whatever it took. And, and that would sort of be the theme of Jacob's life. Right? If we read ahead just a few verses in Genesis chapter 25, in verses 29, and you can read this for yourself later, we'll see that the story of Jacob tricking his older brother out of his birthright. It seems that the dramatics and drama ran in his family at a high level because one day Esau comes out from a, a hunt. He comes home. He was been hunting all week, and, and he's starving. So Jacob says, hey, I'll give you some of my soup if you give me, my, give me your birthright as the firstborn son. And Esau, he goes for it. He's an idiot. Right? You can read the story. I don't think I've ever been hungry enough to trade my inheritance for some lentil soup, because that's literally was the kind of soup, right? There's better soup, broccoli and cheddar, right? It's not even good soup. And then if we turn to Genesis 27, right, you can look at this. We'll, we'll see the story of Jacob working together with his mom to make sure that their father gives him the birthright that was stolen from Esau earlier in their life. So in a hilarious scene that would make like a great uh, Saturday Night Live sketch, Jacob dresses up in red fur to trick his dad, right? So the man, Jacob, this, this deceiver, this heel catcher, is dressed like Elmo, and his father has bad vision, and he buys into it, and he gives Jacob the blessing of the firstborn son. He's just crazy. Again, Jacob is grabbing at the heel of the person 
who is first in line. He is tricking the people who care about him. He's doing whatever it takes to get ahead. Working hard, yes. Right? Doing all that he can, but he's doing it in the wrong way, in the wrong fashion. Not in a God-honoring fashion. Right? And this is, is sort of how his life goes. Right? He strives. He hustles. He grinds. And at one point, he works for seven years so that he can marry the, the woman of his dreams, but he's tricked, right? Back at you, buddy. Right? He's tricked. And so then he has to, he ends up marrying the wrong woman so, he, woman, so he works seven more years. This is just who Jacob is. This is his life. This is everything around him. He's the person who thinks everything is riding on his shoulders, that it's all up to him, that he has to do all the sketchy things, all the horrible things. He has to pull everyone down so that he can get ahead. He thinks everything depends on him, that the end will justify the means. And in the climax of this story, God tells Jacob uh, to go back home. <laughs> go back to Esau, his brother, who he stole everything from. You see, Jacob had, had been on the run from his brother because, well, he stole his inheritance. And Esau was a little bit mad about that, to say the least. So Jacob, who's been on the run for about 20 years, but also has been, been kind of successful because he, he's lying and he's cheating, right? He, he has to go back home and he has to make things right with Esau. And so he gets close to home and, and he's starting to panic. He's starting to freak out, right? He has the the Monday or the, the Sunday night scaries or whatever we call them, right? He started to panic. Right? He has heard that Esau's coming and that Esau's not alone. Esau's bringing 400 men. He's bringing an army with him to meet him on the road, to tell him a thing or two, right? I just, that's how I picture it. You know? <laughs> right? Esau's coming with these men. Things aren't looking good. And so Jacob, he sends his family away from him to ensure that at least his children survive. And what Esau has coming, from what Esau has coming his way, and Jacob, he's left alone on a riverbank all by himself. He's just waiting. And that's where we pick up this story. Turn in your Bibles to, to Genesis 32. So flip over a little bit from Genesis 26 to Genesis 32. All right, Genesis 32, verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. All right, so all night. When the man saw that he uh, did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven, striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. Verse 30 says, so Jacob called the name of that place Penel, saying, for I have seen God 
face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The son rose upon him as he passed, now limping because of his hip. All right? Now, I was reading the story with uh, Christina, my wife, uh, this week, and we got to verse 24, and she was like, oh, just wait a minute, right? What kind of guy who does something like this, who just walks up to another guy, and, and they just start wrestling, right? Two guys, just like on the street, right, on the side of a river. No handshake, no getting to know each other, no nothing. Just start wrestling. And, and she says, who does that? That's not, that's not a real thing. And I said, I beg to differ. I beg to differ. I've done that, right? My mom, my beautiful mom dropped me off at college. I get into my room. I'm carrying my bags. I got everything. And I sit down on my bed, and there across from me is another man. And he says his first words to me, I can take you. <laughs> you can't take me. And then we proceeded to wrestle where I pinned him to the ground in a headlock forever shoring up the dominance of room 308 of Waters Hall in Grayson, Kentucky. All right, that's just what happens with guys sometimes, right? We just we shove each other. We, we push each other, right? And Jesse, he became one of my best friends, and we still hang out and hunt together and, and all that jazz, right? I think, are we, I think we're godparents of his kids, right? Yeah, so like, right, he knew, he knew I could take care of things if I needed to take care of things. Right? It happens. This, this is the same thing. This is what men do. At least this is what I do. Right? And it's what Jacob does. But this story of wrestling, I think, really points out the two greatest lies. And this is what I really want to get to in the time that we have left. The two greatest lies of Jacob's life and our lives, too. Right? Two of the, the greatest lies that Satan right, tells us. And if we're honest with ourselves. Right? And it's clear that Jacob knew that God had, had great things in store for him and his family. He knew the inheritance. He knew the, the covenant. He knew the promises that he, he was a part of, his, his heritage. Right? Jacob knew the promise that God had made with his grandpa and his father and to him about the nation that would come from their family. He, he mentioned it earlier on in this very chapter. But further, he, he is doing everything he can to, to preserve his family, to make things right. Because in Jacob's mind, like we said, it all depended on him. This promise from God, this, this great nation, he, he, had to, he had to shoulder it. It all depended on him and who he was. He had to define himself and carry that load. Now that's the first lie. Look, like we, we need to zoom in zoom in on this, right, in this story, that, that we, need, we need to rip this, this lie out of Satan's hand, like that, that little kid that we were putting in the car seat with a chicken nugget, right, how they, how they grip that. We need to rip it out of their hand, right? And it's this lie, look. God's blessings must be achieved. God's blessings must be achieved. And we, we can zoom in on that and have a whole series of sermons on that, like God's grace needs to be achieved. But listen, God's, that's the lie from Satan. He, he thought God made a promise to, to his family, to his grandparents, and that it was up to him, Jacob himself, to make it happen. He had to do it. 
even if it meant doing sketchy things, being a heel catcher, pulling, pulling his siblings down in the pool as they raced across. He had to be first. He had to do it all. All throughout his life, Jacob had tried to get God's blessing by heel grabbing. He gained God's blessing by deceiving others and lying. His theory was that in order to get God's blessing, in order to figure out God's will, in order to step into that path, you had to get there first and you had to get there before anybody else. His idea was that, that the blessing goes to the winner, or the, the world's definition of a winner. And listen, we're no different, church, right? We're no different, Foundry Church. I mean, before we give Jacob a hard time, right? We think we got to be the best Christian. We think we got, before we come through these doors, we got to have everything right. And we can't bring any baggage with us to, to God or let, let alone our brothers and sisters, right? That we can't ask for help. We can't ask for prayer. We think we have to be the best Christian. We, we, we got to be the best father. There can't be any chinks in our armor, right? That we, we have to be the best provider, that we just got to make the most, and that's what it means. We have to be the, the greatest leader, that we have to be the top seller, the top manager, that we have to earn that next rank. We have to be the winner at all costs. We have to be the first in line when God is handing out blessings or we're not going to get none, or, or it's just all useless. Useless. We have to do it on our own, by our own power and our own ability, or God won't honor it. Why would he? So we do whatever it takes to get there. We maybe we, we kick a few people on the way up the ladder of success. We sacrifice our family on the ministry altar. Right? We, 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 we sacrifice our family at the altar of the boardroom, whatever it is, or we forget about giving money uh, to, to the church so that we can come together and we can reach out and, and make a difference in this world. Because we need to buy the new and the greatest thing or no one will think we're successful. Or we skip stepping up to the table with each other and being real with each other in small groups or in just in meals that we have after church or getting here a little bit early so we can pray for each other. Because, because that's not what it's about. It's about being at the conference table the longest so we can achieve. Because, because we think we want the blessings of success. We, we want the blessings of, of a good family that looks good on TV, on social media, nice home, or fill in the blank, right? We all got it. And we better start doing when we think those things. We, we, we think to ourselves, we, well, we better start doing whatever it takes to be the winner in order to get that blessing. And when we, we look in the mirror and we find ourselves looking a lot like Jacob, we're, we're dressed up... <laughs> To, to look like someone else, right? We're dressed up to look like something else and someone else. We're lying to the people that we love. We're stepping over the little guy. We're, we're not forging our life on God. We're forging our life on everything but God. We don't know our identity. We don't know that we're a son or a daughter of God the Most High and that he's called us to be and to do his will to go and make disciples of all nations. Right, and that, that assignment might look different for each of us. Right, for me, it means preaching here at the foundry. That's my assignment to be a husband to Christina, a son to my mom, a brother, a friend. Right, for for Terry, we used her as an example earlier in our huddle. Right, it, it means that she's um, a wife to Danny, that she's a mother to Crystal and to DJ, that she's a neighbor in the Old King Mill Road neighborhood. All right. <laughs> She's a, a teacher in Fairfax, 
That's your assignment. When we take it a step further and we start believing not just that lie, and we believe the second lie, this, we do not trust in the promises of God. When we, when we think, man, I got to earn God's blessing, they must be achieved, and then we start believing this, that, that we can't trust that he's going to come through, that we can't trust that he's going to do what he says he's going to do, what he said he was going to do. Right, we're out here doing all the work because that is how you, you get the promises of God, but nothing is happening. So we start to believe the lie that God can't really be trusted to make his promises come true. You see, I get, get this foundation here. Right, look, Jacob's life over and over again showed that he believed in God, but he did not trust God's promise. Think about that. The man believed in God, but he didn't trust God. He strived, he worked, he hustled, he grinded all in vain because he just didn't have faith. He thought it was all on his shoulders. That he couldn't trust the shoulders of his creator. He knew he was creator, but he couldn't trust him. Why else would he cry out in his wrestling? He said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And it's clear this was not Jacob dictating terms to God. This was the cry of a desperate man. God overcame Jacob here. He started to kind of transform Jacob's mind. And we know this from Hosea chapter 12, verses 3 through 5, that Jacob sought this blessing with just flat out weeping. The heel catcher, grabbing the heel, not fighting, but now just laying prone. Bless me. Tears, anguish, all that weight. Bless me. He knew he was defeated. Yet desperately, because he, he thought everything depended on him winning this fight, he cried out for a blessing, right? Jacob's, his, his whole life had been one struggle after the next, one hustle after the next, one load to carry on his back after the next, wrestling with a man to get another blessing. Well, that makes sense. He had to heel grab for everything else. Why not this blessing right now, right here? Why, why wouldn't he have to just lay prone and grab the heel and cry out? With all that weight, why wouldn't he have to fight with God to keep him safe from Esau? Ever felt like that? Yeah, I just gotta fight. I just gotta keep going. I gotta keep grinding. <laughs> but all I could do is I'm just crying out. And I'm still just oh, holding, holding tight. Sometimes there's no doubt in our mind. It is in our blood to think that God will bless us if we're just good enough. If we just do enough. If we try harder, if we jump through the right hoops, 
if we keep the rules. Surely God smiles on the one with the most gold stars and the one with the most trophies and not on the losers who's never tried. Of course we have to wrestle. Of course it has to be difficult. God cannot be trusted just to, to give blessings out freely. We have to run that race. Of course we have to fight with God. That's a lie. Because in the wrestling, God had a truth for Jacob that I hope we can see. Right? I, I want you to lean in and I want you to get this. Lean in, guys. Eyes up here. Right? The wrestling was not to earn the blessing. Right? The fighting, the, the grappling, the struggle, the grind, the hustle there in the moment with that man on that riverbank was not to earn the blessing. The fighting was not because we cannot trust God to give us what he promised. Right? Look, the wrestling proved that God was the only way to find salvation from our true enemies. From Satan, from the big things, from, from the, uh, the, the struggle of, of what it means to be a godly husband, to be a godly father, to be a, a mother who's forging her life on God and guiding her kids to do the same, from what it means to, 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 to share your faith with your, your friends and with your community and the next generation. But the wrestling proved that God was the only way to find salvation, the only way to find success from those lies that say, you got to do that. You got to be perfect. You got to grind. You got to hustle. And then God will bless you. Right? Jacob began the night believing his greatest need was to escape the wrath of his brother Esau and the shame of what he did, the guilt that was just weighing down on him. He ended the night believing his greatest need was to trust in the blessing of God's promise that God made generations ago and that he can hang his hat on today. And what changed him from fearing man and from fearing not being enough and from fearing of, of not knowing what to do and the grind and the hustle and just the, everything, the weather, the chaos that's all around him, and what changed from all of that junk to trusting God's word was prolonged in a painful wrestling with God that left him with a limp. Listen. Right? Sometimes in order to make us see that God's blessing is all about God's grace and nothing about our achievements and our willing to hustle and grind, and I'm preaching to myself here, right, is God will disable us. He will cripple your star-making talent, your trophy-winning skill, just as he touched Jacob's hip so that he collapsed and he had to stop wrestling for the win so God will touch us somehow. And I know that's counterintuitive, especially for someone like me who's type A, hustler or grinder. He'll disable us. He'll remind us that those things that we believe, the things, things we depend on... Uh, uh, they don't depend on us. They, they depend on who God is. And his goodness, his faithfulness, his promises, his grace, and his truth. And the truth is that, that blessings from God can only come from God. Those blessings of God does not, not go to the winners. But it goes to those who surrender to God. Listen, look, look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 
it says this, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, Christ, the chosen one, the anointed one, the king, right, the king, for the king's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, when I'm prone and I can't do anything but just lay prone and cry out and grab maybe, I can let go. That heal, then I'm strong. Right? Sometimes God wrestles with us. <laughs> this stinks. It's hard. And it gives us a limp, so there's no doubt that in our weakness, God is the one who saves us, blesses us, and redeems us. And then he gives us a new identity, right? Don't miss that, right? And Jacob gets a new name in the story. He goes from a heel-grabbing, trickster, scoundrel, no good, whatever, that believes all of God's promises, everything, good, the bad, the ugly, depend on him, that he has to hustle, he has to grind. And it goes from that, Jacob, to Israel. God gives him a new identity. Jacob, the heel grabber and deceiver, becomes known as Israel, God wrestler. As Eugene Peterson, the message he puts it, he's a God wrestler. I, I myself would have preferred, like, you know, the rock, the beast, right? <laughs> right? But, but, it, but it fit Jacob. It fits the, the, the nation he fathered, and it fits us. It says that Jacob would be called Israel because he had fought, he wrestled, he had grappled with God and he prevailed. Jacob prevailed in the sense that he endured through his struggle until God thoroughly conquered him, until he just gave everything to God. Like we just sang about. Everything. Right? Look, when the battle, when, when you battle with God, you only win by losing. Right? When you battle with God, you only win by losing and not by giving up until you know you have lost. <laughs> no, that's counterintuitive. That sounds uh, weird, but we, we keep fighting. We keep wrestling, not in our strength, but in God's strength for his goodness, for his knowledge, for his purpose, for his power and grace. <laughs> and the more we do that, not because we think it depends on us, but because it depends on him, the more we do that, the we lose, but we win. Because we're forged by God. Jacob won because he did not win. Jacob won because God gave him a limp, because he could not be trusted. Because he could be trusted, I'm sorry. Jacob won because God won. It's not about that hustle and that grind doing things in our power. It's about forging a life on God and letting his power, his ability to sustain us through the hustle, through the grind, his will for his glory. Right? The new name meant that this man would be known forever by his connection with God, not by his own tricks. Even though the connection is a wrestling match, it is a powerful connection. It was a forged connection. I sometimes make Christina watch college wrestling tournaments with me, and sometimes I'll go up to George Mason and watch meets, or I've got, even gone up to anytime Penn State's in, at Maryland. 
I'll go watch Penn State because they're really good. Uh, wrestle at Maryland. And sometimes I watch these matches with Christina, and she doesn't care. And, and she'll say something along the lines. It looks like they're just lying there hugging each other. Like, why is he just lying on top of that other guy? And I have to explain to her that wrestling, like, of all the sports that I've done, it's the most physically, mentally, and emotionally taxing sport. When it looks like they're just lying there hugging each other on the, on the floor in a sweaty mess. I know it's weird. They're really working their butts off. That, that's when you know they're, they're like, really working. When there's, there's not a lot of movement, right? They're, they're just holding strong, right? They're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're equally matched. Wrestling with another man takes everything that we have. Wrestling with God takes more than that. And if we are willing to lose, but still be with God in that wrestling, if we're willing to get that limp, we'll become the victor. We'll become the victor. Even though our relationships with God is going to be sweat-stained, you know, spirit-wearing, heavy wrestling relationship, we're not where we once were. Our relationship doesn't have to be perfect. We don't have to be the best Christian. Or we don't have to be perfect in everything that we do. Our relationship with God, it can be a relationship that's like, hey, we're going to wrestle through this. But I'm going to let you have your will. You can displace my hip. But it's going to be a wrestling match. In that wrestling, we gain a new identity as God wrestlers that would be blessed by God. Now look, real quick, turn to Hebrews 11, this hall of fame, this hall of faith, where it says just simply this about him, about Jacob as we finish up here. Verse 21, this is all it says about him. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons, of, each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. So Jacob, who spent a lot of his life fighting and striving and putting the weight of the world on his shoulders to receive the blessing of God, ends his life by leaning putting his weight on his staff. And, and that may seem like a small point. Like, why is that in there? Like, well, what is that? But church, remember, God gave Jacob a limp. Right? He needed that staff to walk and to kneel. The staff was a constant reminder to Jacob that he could not do it on his own. He just couldn't do it. He tried and he failed. He was only victorious when he lost to God. The staff was a constant reminder that God was the one who fulfilled promises and made it possible for Jacob to have sons. The staff was God who is great and he held his future and the future of his descendants in his hands. I mean, what a beautiful picture to remember the two things that we need to do to receive the blessings of God. Right? Forget those lies. We must embrace our blessed limp. <laughs> Jacob, Israel, this guy, he had to lean on his staff at the end of his life because of his blessed limp. Right? Do you have a blessed limp? Think about it, right? I, I do, right? God has disabled me several times. Right? I I insecurity. Things I wrestle with. Doubts. 
this all depends on me attitude, a lot like Jacob. I have to be the one, the, the responsible one, the, the one to achieve this and to do this. This is what people expect of me, so I have to do this. It has caused me to fail more and more and more than I can imagine. And when I can share, and I went. I've had to submit that to God. To rest. The grace is at work in these limps. So we must embrace these limps and the grace that comes with that. Because, you see, our, our God has such an amazing grace that sometimes it disables us to bless us. The, the, the limp reminds us to stop our own striving and heel grabbing and rest on God's grace. His blessing is entirely an unearned gift. Whatever that blessing looks like. All right, and then second, we must just lean on him. All right, when, when we have been blessed with weaknesses that just point to God as our strength, it leaves us in need of something or someone to lean on. For Jacob, it was not just the staff, but it was the promises of God that his children would be taken care of, that his family would endure, and that the nation of God would produce the king of kings, Jesus. That is what we must lean into. So as the, as the band comes up, we must, we must trust his word, that he'll give us what he's promised us, that, that in our weaknesses, he's showing us how to be strong in him. Trust that we don't, have to have it all together and grind that even in our wrestling he and his promises will win out in the end that's our call that's how we identify who we are as his children as sons and daughters of god most high church the story of jacob reminds me of a, a story that i once heard about an australian prize fighter another wrestler of sorts right back in the day he, he went on this this big title fight, and his family couldn't go with him. And he wired his dad about the, the fight, and the wire is simply said this. He said, one easily. One easily. It just took 84 rounds. One easily, but it took 84 rounds. That's a story of Jacob. And that's a story of my life, and, and maybe that's a story of yours, too, that our wrestling with God was, was one easily. It, it just took 84 rounds. After all the work and the pressure and the pain, maybe we need to learn and lean to embrace our limp and understand that our weakness is made strong in the power of God. We can lean into his promises and who he says we are, his sons, his daughters, who are forged, who can take our life and intersect it with, with faith in him. Stand and worship our God this morning.